So, I mean, it's an easy giveaway. I like a little bit of interaction to begin with, if that's okay. So, do we have any historians amongst us? Not a single one brave enough to put up their hand to say they could win the quiz. Okay, I'm being pointed at down here. (laughs) So, something for us all to be involved with. I have some historic, significant events. And uh, do not shout out the answer, but if... And these are all from the same year. So, if you know which year this is... I want you to stand if you're able to, okay? So no shouting out, because you'll spoil the fun for everyone. So this was the year that Boeing introduced the first 747 jumbo jet. Anyone think they know what that year it is? Please stand up. It was a game changer in world aviation. Not a single person. Okay, this was the year that the first manned spacecraft orbited the moon on Christmas Eve. Okay, I thought we'd have at least one by now. Um, This was the year that Manchester United won the European Cup final, becoming the first English team to do so. There must be... Thank you for being brave enough to stand up. No one else willing to stand and give it a go. I'm going to ask him first, though, so don't worry. Okay, my final one. This was the year that the 39-year-old civil rights leader, Martin Luther King Jr., was assassinated in Memphis, Tennessee. It was a year of triumph and tragedy. We've got two. I feel like an auctioneer. I'm expecting more than two. Three, four, five, six. Oh, seven. Okay, right. We'll go here first. Do you know which year it was? 1968. Would you all agree? Yes, it was. Well done. You can sit back down. There's some timid people there. I'm sure more people knew that Martin Luther King died 50 years ago this year. But I've got you all talking now. I want you to come back listening to me. Among the many historic events that happened in 1968, it was also the year that Tear Fund was born. So for those who are quick at maths, that is 50 years. And 2018 marks 50 years of Tear Fund. And just a side note before I continue... If you're an avid watcher of Songs of Praise, this afternoon, um, we are the main feature on all those segments. So if I intrigue you a little bit in what I say today about tier funds, then you can go back and watch a lot more. I think it's just gone four o'clock on uh, BBC. There we go, I'm being corrected. (laughs) Half past four. So in the reading then, Leviticus 25, which was a giveaway if you were reading the passage on 50th year, but you know, I forgive you. Um... We, we read that the Israelites held that jubilee year in great regard. And uh, according to the law, the year, 50th year was to be the year of jubilee. And in essence, jubilee uh, was about the restoration of a good way of life in which God's redeemed, liberated people could flourish. And as we as Tirfan look back over the last 50 years, we see countless examples of individuals, communities, across the globe who have received or experienced restoration, freedom, equality and justice, just as God intended for his people. The number of people living in extreme poverty over the last 50 years has halved. Um, It's just phenomenal. And we've seen, as Tear Fund, millions of people lifted from material and spiritual poverty through local church and local church partners. And that's because of, largely, support from churches like yours here in the UK and individuals giving and praying. And I know you as a church have been giving and praying to the world's our work in Cambodia for many years. 
Some of you have visited as well. And thank you for that. And even more recently, just the, the, Christi- uh, the, the um, Central African Republic, we had an appeal that was doubled by the UK government, and your church gave generously to that as well. And that's what has seen so much transformation take place, churches giving. But also, I know your church is now a year into bringing an eco-church. And that's what we desire, not just people's response in money or simply not just their prayers, but also ways of thinking about what can we do with our lifestyle? What can we do with our daily decisions? What can we do with our electricity bills and our suppliers that says something about our heart for justice as well? And so we want to encourage churches across the UK to think about this in a whole heap of different ways, to pray, act, and give. But 50 years on, the need is still great. Half the world's poor may be lifted out of poverty, but the need is still great. You only need to turn on the news. You only need to look around and see that we're living in a broken world. Families who've been forced to flee their home because of conflict, or families who can't feed their family because of climate change. Individuals who don't have the skills or training they need to lift themselves out of poverty. I've been fortunate enough myself to go on a few trips with Tear Fund, and when I think about my trips, there was one person who really sticks out to me, and she's not from the DRC, I've not been there, um, she's from Rwanda, and her name is Belenchilo. And we went to her home, which was about an hour south of Kigali, and we first of all went to her church, and uh, then we went to her church and heard about what Tear Fund's doing through the church, and she said, you've got to come to my home with this massive smile, and I was like, okay, we're going. So we go to her home, and she just tells me her story. We sit on these little rough wooden benches, and she just tells me how 21 years ago at the time, her family, her husband and her children, were all locked inside of a church, and the church was burnt down. And she watched all of her family die as a result of the genocide. A mother watching her kids be killed. That left her emotionally broken, as I'm sure we could all appreciate but also just incredibly lonely. At the time, she was living in Kigali, you know, a city that was broken by the genocide, and she was incredibly lonely. And for many years, that was the first step towards poverty, her loneliness, lack of community, lack of support. Another charity did an amazing thing and built for widows of the genocide these homes, but they were far away from where she lived. So she moved out of Kigali to the rural south, And so she, unlike many in her community now, she had a brick walls and she had glass windows when we went to visit her. And she was really proud of this. It was an amazing thing that that charity did. But she was still really lonely. And she just (laughs) was telling me her story, how she had this house, but she didn't know anyone around her. But then one day, the church came knocking. (laughs) The church invited her to come and be part of something called a self-help group. And what this was, this was a way that the church gathers midweek into small groups, uh, men and women together, and they open the Bible together. They pray for one another. They support one another, saying, oh, you're going through this challenge of bad crops. I've been there. This is what I did. You know, they, they talk each other through the problems. But they also save money together. There's no seed money put in by any charity. It's all their own. And they start building up this common pot of money, which they can take a loan out from. And that loan is at less rates than you get from a loan shark. Um, and, and so actually it's very good for them 
as a way of being able to buy capital expenses. And so she'd been part of this group for about six months, and we're sitting in her home, and she just tells me how the first thing that she did with a loan was to buy the seats that we were sitting on. Because she was adamant when she said that she was going to be part of the group, that she would host it in her home. Because she was fortunate to have bricks and glass and a comfortable home, unlike anyone else. And she felt this blessing she wanted to share. But for all that six months, they'd been sitting on these mats on the floor. So the first thing that she wanted to do was buy a chair for her friends to come and sit on, where she hosted them every week. And I'm looking around, and it's just simple. But that was the first thing that she wanted to do. I would have never thought of it. The second thing, another six months on, it takes time, it's not quick, another six months on is that she um, buys 20 kilos of this grain so that she can sell it on at smaller amounts at a profit, quite simple business, but she is good at it. And then the third loan that she does, and she's looking at me, is that she uses it to pay for new teeth, because she told me that the teeth that she has were all knocked out in the genocide by the butt of a rifle. But 20 years on, she was able to pay for new teeth. And what so struck me about Belenchilo was that she cared for others, just the simple act of buying a chair before she cared for herself. And for me, she just encompasses everything about the transformation that we want to see, about communities just radically changed when they understand the love of God. And when we see images on TV, when we hear that prayer that Mary said, so many images come to mind of brokenness in London, where I'm from. In my community, we've had stabbings recently. Of war, of Syria, of of so much. There is so much need in the world. Poverty and injustice can feel like this giant. How on earth could we overcome But then we remember this famous moment when an expert of the law asks Jesus, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus uses that moment to inspire his church, his body, like the Good Samaritan, to go and do likewise and care for those who are in greatest need. And the church, his body, is making a real difference for those who are caught in extreme poverty. And at Tiffon, we do believe that an end to extreme poverty is possible that an end to extreme poverty is possible. And we won't stop until poverty stops. And we continue to follow Jesus to places like the DRC, where the need is greatest. And I could talk about any one of our countries where we work, but I just want to use the DRC just as a bit of a lens on our work, just so we can understand what this radical message of Jubilee means. So it's got a population of 80 million. Don't worry, I've done the interactive stuff for now. I'm not going to ask people for a quiz on the DRC. Population of 80 million people. It's one of the second largest countries in Africa. It's abundantly wealthy in natural resources, but it's one of the poorest, most corrupt countries. It's been devastated by repeat conflicts. Relationships between people have been broken. Turmoil is ongoing. It's not just economically fragile, but socially, politically, it's fragile. And it's what we'd call a fragile state. But broken communities and broken countries, they are no new thing. Knowing that brokenness and injustice are a part of the world, God gave Moses a number of instructions that would help him lead the Israelites to address some of the key issues 
that he knew would become stumbling blocks for them. So in Leviticus 25, which Mary just read, a number of laws are laid out which are essentially concerned with how the Israelites should treat one another, socially, um, but also economically, so there's stability um, in the Israelite community. God's intention was that the Israelites would live in a way that reflected good, healthy, honouring relationships with God, with each other and with creation. But alongside this vision of life as it was meant to be, this passage it acknowledges that reality, that some that societies would drift further away from God's intentions. And this happened. So later in the passage, because it gets quite long and quite detailed, we read that some families would, would become poor in verse 25. In verse 14, we read that some would be tempted to take advantage of one another. And in verse 39 some would find the need to sell themselves into bonded labour. God wanted to establish a system that encouraged justice to be right at the heart of their community so that the redemption and restoration, liberation and renewal could be experienced by all. And so the year of the Jubilee, which was supposed to happen once a generation, every 50th year, would restore Israel and the Israelites to the life that God intended for them. For example, by mandating the return of people to their original homes so that every family and clan could redeem the share of the land that God gave them when Israel was established. Jubilee provided a counter to natural successes and failures, to greed and exploitation and sin that led to growing inequality and poverty. Ultimately, it restored Israel as a society in which all creation could flourish under God. And just as God longed for the Israelites to live in a fair and just society, Jubilee reminds us that God's heart today is still for justice and liberation for everyone, for individuals, communities to be restored. So with 87% of the DRC living below the poverty line, the needs in DRC are certainly great. But so too is the, is, the, is, the, is the opportunity and desire for restoration. And God's people, as we're about to see in the video, carry his light into some of the hardest to reach places there. And as they do, we are seeing real transformation. So you can turn your gaze to the screens and we're going to watch a short video now. We believe restoration is available for everyone. Motivated by the relentless love of Jesus, we're helping individuals and communities unlock their God-given potential and discover that the answer to poverty lies within themselves. In the 50 years since we started, working alongside local church partners, we have seen millions of people across the world released from poverty. People like Burungi. My name is Birungi. I am from a village in the rainforest of the Democratic Republic of Congo. It is a country full of potential. But after years of fighting, life is hard for families. And it is especially hard for girls. My family has always been poor. When I was younger, I had to stay at home to look after my little brother and sister. I wanted to care for them, but I really wanted to go to school. 
I knew that if I studied hard at school, I could get a job. But school was too expensive. My uncle had about a skill center supported by Tiafan's partner. All are welcome, even children who have never been to school. When I heard there was a place for me, I was so happy. They told me how Jesus offers freedom to everyone. I qualified and got a sewing machine to start a dressmaking business. I started earning. I then saved for a better sewing machine powered by pedals. I then saved more to buy a piglet. I sold the adult pig and had money to buy a calf. I'm now saving for more calves. When I sell my cows, I will be able to buy land or a house. When I'm sewing, I feel empowered. I wanted to be set free. And I was. Without my training, I would still be at home without even enough food to live on. I would be suffering. I thank God for this work and how Tiafan support set me free. Birungi has overcome extreme poverty. She has a hope and a future restored to her and is now a role model in her community. But 87% of people in the Democratic Republic of Congo still live below the poverty line. Too many lives around the world remain broken. We believe an end to poverty is possible and we all have a part to play. We won't stop. We won't stop. We won't stop until poverty stops. Until poverty stops. Will you join us? So we've now seen her, the lady I've been talking about this morning, Burungi. She lives in a small village in the northeast of the country. Anyone been to DRC? One at the back. Very good. And um, her nearest town, to get to her nearest town, Bunia, you need to take three modes of transport. You need to first of all take a truck that's going to take you from the town to the, to the river. Then you need to get in a boat to get across the river. And then you need to get on a small motorcycle that's going to take you up these kind of narrow tracks to her village. And naturally, many people would be put off by this long and arduous journey. Surely there's people in great need you know, in a lot more convenient location. But inspired and driven by Jesus' relentless love, our partner, our local partner in the DRC, Action on Trade, is committed to bringing hope and restoration to Burungi and the women in her community. So by empowering people with the skills and training they need to lift themselves out of poverty, Action on Trade are living up to their name, which in French means self-help. And through our church and community transformation approach to development, individuals are not just being given handouts and aid, but they're given the skills, the training, the opportunity to build strong and sustainable futures for themselves. Through building livelihood um, initiatives like their skills workshop, Action on Trade are enabling people like Burungi to discover that the answer to poverty lies within themselves. And in so doing, their dignity and self-worth is being restored. And all they do, action on trade, include those who are marginalised. Women and those from ethnic groups who are traditionally looked down upon or whose opportunities are limited, like Burundi. 
Burungi was the eldest child in the family, like we saw. She came from a poor rural family. She, like many other girls around her, was expected to stay at home and look after her younger brother and sister. She was never, therefore, given the opportunity to go to school like the boys in her village. The long-term plan for Burungi, and many women like her, was that she would be sold for her... Well, when, when she was old enough, she would get married, and her dowry would provide financial stability for their family. It's the opposite way round to India. <laughs> Burungi's uncle believed there was so much more for her, though, and told her about the skills workshop that was offered to both men and women, and this gave her an opportunity to start writing her future. And with this, she's been able to find economic independence. But alongside this skills and independence, she found her faith in God and grew in her understanding of God as she spent time with the teachers. And her self-belief blossomed because God's word says we're all equal, she said. Her eyes have been opened to the God-given potential inside of her and she's using her gifts and skills to run a small business in her community. So no longer brought down by social brokenness that labels her as just a woman, she is seen differently by those within her community. So in Romans, we hear about this because Burungi has discovered her true self-worth as a child of God. Romans 8 says, For those who are led by the Spirit are given are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you are in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Burungi is now confident in her identity as a precious child of God. She has a purpose and a future. She no longer lives in poverty, but has been set free. She now has the ability to choose her own path and overcome the limitations that so many young girls feel in the DRC. Hers is a story of the words we keep coming back to, redemption and restoration. And in our 50th year, it is these stories of redemption and restoration that we not only want to share that we want to be part of writing again and again into the future. We know this familiar moment when Jesus, in Luke 4, walks into the temple and reads from Isaiah 61. And he says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom from the captives. And release from darkness for the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And finishes by, by proclaiming, today this is fulfilled in your hearing. And closes that scroll. Near the start of Jesus' ministry, he returns to Nazareth where he has been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he goes to the synagogue and reads from the scroll of the prophet in Isaiah. And in so doing, he applies these verses to himself and his ministry. Jesus was saying to his audience, who I don't think were willingly there, they just happened to be there, that he had come to make Jubilee possible and that the year of the Lord's favour, a direct reference to Jubilee, was for all. No longer was this ancient law that the Israelites were actually never able to fulfil, they were never able to achieve that year of jubilee. 
was no longer there in law, but it was one for his audience and their neighbors too. He was saying that his mission is God's mission and that he longed for his disciples to follow his footsteps and bring liberation and freedom, restoration and redemption to their communities. And that is precisely what Tear Fund's local church partners are doing in the DRC, bringing good news to the poor and setting the captives free. They're helping women like Burungi rewrite their futures so that they no longer live in poverty because they're given the knowledge, the skills and the tools they need to build a sustainable future. And as we know, we are his disciples too. This message is for us here as well, not just those in the DRC. By restoring people to God, Jesus makes it possible for his disciples to live in a way that pursues the values of Jubilee. As the body of Christ called and commissioned to bear witness to the gospel, we are called to be a new community that marks the kingdom of God, enabled by him. (laughs) We can't possibly do this just by trying to interpret the law and live under it. We need to pray, seek God. And so God is calling us, the church, forward to meet the needs that still exist in our fragile world head on to bring restoration where there's brokenness and to be a channel of his relentless love in everything we do. And so he speaks the words of Isaiah 61 over us as his church today, that the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on us because the Lord has anointed us to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me and you to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. So Burungi said that without my training, I would still be at home without even enough food to live on. I would be suffering. And this could have been Burungi's future. But instead, Burungi is now a successful businesswoman, She's viewed differently from within her community. She now has options and a hope and a plan for the future. Because otherwise, poverty robs people of choices. Poverty is rife in the DRC. Women in particular are given very little opportunity to learn the skills they need to be able to lift themselves and their families out of poverty. And other women, just like Burungi, have not yet had that opportunity to rewrite their future. And in this, our 50th year, we have a vision as Tear Fund to see 5 million people released, restored from material and spiritual poverty. And alone, we know this is not possible. But with the support of churches and individuals personally responding, and ultimately, of course, with God, we know this is achievable. And I just want to take a moment to invite you personally to be part of this as well. So on your seat, as Tim already referenced, there is a leaflet. It's the thing you can pick up now, if you like. You may put it underneath your seat when you sat down. You can pick it up, hold it, it's not scary. And by giving £12 a month, you could enable two women, like Burungi, within the course of one year, to learn the skills to flourish. £12 will enable two women like Burungi 
to learn the skills to flourish. You may be able to give that, you may be able to give more or less, but your support today would make a huge difference. So to accept this invitation, it's quite straightforward. All you need to do is fill in the form. (laughs) And you can give it to me and we can be in touch and make the rest happen. Naturally, if you want to pray about this, if you want to talk to your spouse or your partner or your kids about this and bring them on that journey too, then please complete as many details as you can. There's a box here and you can leave your phone number, you can leave your name, and then you get a, conversa- a call from someone just like me. And how friendly am I? Obviously not that friendly. <laughs> you get a call from someone as friendly as me, or even more so, this week, and you'll have a no-pressure conversation, and you can just talk, and talk about it with them. Because I know sometimes we have good intentions in the moment, but then the week can soon get quite busy. So please leave your details and complete that form today, and give it back to me, and I'll just be probably around at the desk there, just available to talk afterwards. In a moment, I'm going to play a short slide sequence, which has a number of images from the DRC. And please do take a moment while this plays to reflect on what you've heard today and what you've heard from this morning and what God is saying to you personally. And before we do this and to end, I would like to close with a short prayer. It's written by the Archbishop Justin Welby, for Tier Fund's 50th year. So let's pray together. Gracious and generous God, you became poor so that we might be enriched by your love. And you gave the world's wealth and resources as a common inheritance of all human beings. We pray you would strengthen your church to be a beacon of hospitality for the poor. We pray that seeing the light of Christ's love, the nations and peoples of the world may not fight to kill, but to do outdo one another in care for the poor and in actions of gracious generosity. Through him who, for our sakes, did not grasp the wealth of heaven, but instead gave all to live for us as a slave and die for us in pain. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. Amen.